Hur är gäst? It's my desire to live for Jesus. It's my desire to be like Him. Though often I
take the world and all its riches. Amen. If you have your Bible, open it up to Psalm 119. And while you're doing that, I'm going to invite my daughter to come up here. Our warrior word this week that uh, we are memorizing is 1 Corinthians 10.13, which happens to be her favorite verse. And so I said, well, I hope you'll be the one to say it this week. And she said, sure. And I didn't guilt her into this or anything. So you just give it a go. Okay. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. For God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. 1 Corinthians 10.13. All right. Good job. Great job. Great job. Great verse. And it's a very important one for our spiritual battle that we are in uh, every day. That uh, when you face that temptation, that reminder, there is a way of escape God is providing. Are you looking for it? Are you looking for it? Well, Psalm 119, continuing on, uh, starting in verse 57, is where we'll be this morning. Uh, this week's sermon, if you remember last week, this week's sermon is brought to you by the letter Ches. And uh, I bet you'll never hear that on Sesame Street. Uh, there's not an English letter that sounds quite like the Hebrew letter Ches. kind of starts at the back of the throat. And go through there. And so again, what that means is that each section or each line of this section begins with that letter. And it's highlighted with the very first verse with the, the Hebrew word uh, that we translate to portion. To portion. The, the Hebrew word is chelek. And it, uh, it means portion. It means booty. Like the old treasure hunters looking for their treasure. That's another word that it would translate from that. Hebrew word, uh, it also can refer to inheritance or even a legacy that has been left behind. Well, let's read our scripture, Psalm 119, verse 57 through 64. It says, You are my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep your words. I entreated your favor with my whole heart. Be merciful to me according to your word. I thought about my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. I made haste and did not delay to keep your commandments. The cords of the wicked have bound me, but I have not forgotten your law. At midnight I will rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous judgments. I am a companion of all who fear you and of those who keep your precepts. Verse 64, the earth, O Lord, is full of your mercy. Teach me your statutes. Pause a moment and pray. Father, we, we ask for your blessing on your word. Lord, we read it, and we study it, and we preach it because it is impactful. It is inspired by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we believe it is a very breathed out word from you, and it has the power to change us from the inside out. That, Lord, coupled with your very presence in this place, Lord, I wholeheartedly believe you are here, your Holy Spirit speaking to each and every one of us exactly where we are spiritually, telling us where we need to change from the inside out. Father, I pray this morning we would all submit in obedience to your word and to your Holy Spirit. It's your name I pray, Father. Amen. So this first verse, verse 57, opens with, You are my, Lord, or por uh, you are my portion, O Lord. But the original language doesn't actually say it quite like that. Sometimes the Hebrew doesn't necessarily translate real clearly to the English, and so 
a long time ago when they were making these English translations, they would add a word here or there from our English language to make it a little bit more readable. There wouldn't necessarily be a verb there as we have it in the English. So, you are my portion of the Lord. doesn't quite say that. Actually, what the Hebrew translates specifically to is, my portion, O Lord. My portion, O Lord. It's, it's almost an exclamation. There's a declaration in this very first ver- verse. As the psalmist begins, he starts it out and says, Lord, my treasure. My treasure, O Lord. That's what you are. In our day, we don't generally use this word portion unless we're talking about going on a diet, right? That's, that's usually when we talk about this word diet, uh, portion, and it's because we're talking about portion control. Our portion is our allotment of daily calorie intake. And so we associate portion with this idea of limitation. How much am I allowed to eat today? What is my portion that I'm allowed to have? But that is not the intention of this scripture, and definitely not the intention of this sermon. We are not limited on our amount of daily intake of God and His inspired Word. In the Hebrew language, again, this word translates to treasure, inheritance, uh, uh, abundant offerings. These kinds of words is where this Hebrew word is referring. What is our treasure? What is it that you treasure? What is it that I treasure? Kind of reminds me of a verse in the New Testament where Jesus talks about where we are laying our treasures. If they are on earth or if they are in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves cannot steal. What is it that we treasure? And so this portion is not as in portion control, but portion as in our reward. Essentially the psalmist is saying, What other people find their treasure in, whether it is wealth or earthly belongings, does not matter to me. It is you, O Lord. I will find my portion in you. I will find my treasure in you. The psalmist is declaring how the Lord is his portion through the word. Hence the reason in verse 1 he immediately says, I have said. After he says, my portion, O Lord, he goes on and says, I have said which is a statement of commitment. I have said that I would keep your words. It is a vow of obedience to God and His word because the Lord is His portion. He is committing to always keep the word of God, to direct His steps according to it. Why? Because He sees this cyclical effect of keeping God's word. We keep God's word because it is a blessing. We are blessed because we keep God's word. And on and on it goes. We were talking just this morning about how uh, in our own lives, just like the Bible shows the Israelites did this thing, where they would sin, and then God would send them a reminder, like punishment, and they would be, you know, they'd be suffering and have this horrible thing. And so then they would cry out to God, and God would rescue them, and He would bring them back into the fold, and they would worship God, and they would align their lives with His Word, and then they would stray again back into their sinfulness. It would just begin this cycle. But the psalmist is saying, no, no, I like this cycle better. You're my portion, so I'm going to keep your word. And I'm going to keep your word because you're my portion. It just goes on and on. That blessing, that's what he wants. That's what we should want. If something blesses you or brings God's blessing on our life, the smart thing to do is to continue to do that thing. Right? 
But I believe this declaration of the psalmist and his portion of the Lord flows through the entire section, all the way through verse 64. Let's look back over these verses and consider this question. Lord, are you my portion? Is the Lord my portion? In verse 58, the psalmist pleads for God's favor. He says, I entreat or I beg or I beseech you for your favor with my whole heart. Be merciful to me, God, according to your word. God's word testifies to us over and over about God's immense mercy and favor on humanity. Then that he relents punishing the wicked, that he is slow to anger, that he gives favor to the humble and the contrite of heart. And Why does God do this? Because he is a loving God, because he is, uh, uh, he is perfect love, because he is a merciful God. God's favor is another form of talking about his grace. Who in here needs God's grace? We all need God's grace. And essentially, when the psalmist says, I entreat you for your favor, he is essentially saying, God, give me your grace. I, I need your grace as much as possible. I need your favor on my life. Be merciful to me according to your word. The Lord is the psalmist's portion, and therefore he sees his great need for God's grace. When the Lord opens our spiritual eyes and we are no longer spiritually blind, we are able to see that the grace of God not only affects our salvation, that we not only need His grace to save us, that we no longer, not only need His grace in regards to forgiveness, but that the grace of God affects every area of our life. The ability to walk is a grace from God. Because grace means gift. That's what grace really means. God's favor means God's gifting on humanity. So grace affects everything. The ability to speak. How many of you are breathing this morning? That is a grace from the Lord. It's all a part of His favor on humanity, on you. But especially in mercy because above all else, I don't know about you, but I'm a sinner. Above all else, I am a sinner. And so of all the things of God's favor that I want Him to pour out on me, I want His mercy. I don't want Him to send the lightning. I want Him to send the love. So we, we cry out, if God is, is my portion, then we want His favor. We want His mercy poured out on our life. My portion, O oh Lord, please give me all the mercy you can allot to me today. And then we start over tomorrow. My portion, O oh Lord, please give me all the mercy you can allot to me today. And then we start over the next day. My portion, O oh Lord, give me all the mercy you can give me today. Because I'm not going to get that from anything else, right? But only from my treasure, my portion, my God, will I get that pouring out of mercy. Then he goes on in verse 59. The psalmist speaks of two action that he takes because the word of God because God is his portion, he takes two actions. First, he says, I thought about my ways. I thought about my ways. He didn't just give it a quick little glance, but he had a deep time of contemplation over his lifestyle. When he says, my ways, he's talking about the direction in which his life is going. I thought about my ways. I contemplated the direction that my life is going. I thought about my lifestyle. And I 
essentially what he does is he measures it against God's word and God's expectation on his life. But he doesn't just stop with thinking or contemplating his ways. The second thing he does is he turns his feet to God's commandments or his word. God's commandments is another word for God's word, God's Bible. And so looking and thinking about his ways and measuring them against the truth of God's word, the psalmist says essentially, I know where I am lacking and I have turned my feet to align my path with God's word. Why? Because you're my portion, Lord. And if you're my portion, then I want to do everything I can to get as much of that portion as I can. As much of you as I can. And I know that means, Lord, I need to direct my path according to your commandments. Direct my life according to your word. I don't want my life direction to dismiss your, dismiss your portion or cancel out a little bit of your portion. So I will submit my will to you. And he didn't stop there. He goes on in verse 60. And he gives us, not only that he directs his feet according to God's word, but he gives us the speed, the gear at which he directs his feet according to God's word. Verse 60, he says, I made haste. Now, when I was a kid, I remember my grandfather saying, young man, haste makes waste. But that wouldn't apply to this scripture, right? God wants us to make haste in this particular episode. He says, I made haste. I don't hesitate. I don't delay. He saw where his life did not measure up with God's truth, God's word. And as quickly as he realized it, he allowed his life to be changed to the biblical standard that he saw in God's word. You know, we make a lot of jokes in 2017 about procrastination, don't we? About putting it off, right? Why do today what I can put off till tomorrow? That was, I felt like that was my theme, theme uh, statement in college. I seem to put everything off till the very last minute. And as funny as that seems like in our life or in things like, uh, you know, studying or doing projects or whatnot, we need to understand that when it comes to obedience of God's word, procrastination is not funny. It's delayed obedience. And delayed obedience is disobedience. That's why the, the psalmist says, I make haste. I make haste and did not delay to keep your commandments. Because the psalmist recognizes that God is, a, is his portion, he essentially is declaring, I will never look at sin the same way again. I won't differentiate between big sins and little sins and say, well, I can keep doing this one. It's just a little sin. But instead, the psalmist says, God, you're my treasure. I don't want any sin at all. And, and in fact, I'm brokenhearted over the very fact that I looked so lightly at sin for so long. And I will make haste to turn my feet in accordance with your scripture. There's no longer big sins and little sins when God is our portion. We don't differentiate between what's a white lie or what's a real lie. But it is simply just sin. There is only sin and not sin. And, and when that becomes truth, when God is our portion, we will be cut to the heart when we are reminded of Jesus' statement, if you love me, you will obey me. We realize every act of disobedience, every act of delayed obedience, 
Every procrastination to align our life with God's word is actually an act of, I don't love you, Jesus. That hurts. It's no longer big and little sins. It's only acts of, I don't quite love you, Jesus, as much as I should. I love that thing, that action, more than I love you. The emphasis on turning our feet and our, aligning our lives to the Word of God with haste reminds me of this New Testament teaching from James 1.22. Be not only hearers of the Word, but be ye doers of the Word also. The Lord is our portion. If His Word is our portion, our treasure, we will have a burden to be doers of His Word. To stop doing what is wrong and to start doing what is right. My portion Oh Lord, my treasure, oh Lord, is to do your will. Make myself obedient to your will. He goes on in verse 61, he starts talking about a very common theme that we have found through Psalm 119. He says, the cords of the wicked have bound me, but I have not forgotten your law. The wicked, or those who do not love God or fear God, want a follower of God to be ensnared. Very important truth. We need to recognize the cords of the wicked want to ensnare us. They want to trap us. Here's essentially what, what we're saying. People who don't have a love for God, who don't find their portion in God, they don't want anybody else to find their portion in God either. They, they want us, they want the people of God to be down in the gutter right with them. They want to drag them down with them. This is why they encourage believers and followers of Christ to act like them. Oh, it's okay, you can do this or that. I won't look down on you. God knows he, God knows you're human. It's okay if you mess up just a little bit. He'll forgive you. It's okay to have a, a little fun. God will understand. These are the lies that Satan uses to ensnare God's people and to uh, wrap us up in the cords that the psalmist is talking about. Wicked, wicked have entangled me in their cords. The wicked do not want the law imposing on their lifestyle, nor do they want anyone else obeying the law of God. The psalmist was surrounded by these temptations, these snares, these lies from those who did not love God or have his best interest in mind, but the psalmist had protected himself. He says at the end of this verse how he protects himself. I have not forgotten your law. When the Lord is our portion, the plans of the wicked do not sway us from the Lord's word because like the psalmist, we will not forget the word of God because we have written it on our hearts. Some of you are still probably asking that question. Why are we emphasizing this scripture memory thing? Because the cords of the wicked want to entangle you. And you need the word of God to remind you. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common, common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape that you may endure it. We need those reminders. We need that written on our hearts. Because the wicked want us to trip up. Now right now, some of you may be thinking, well, who are the wicked? <laughs> who can I name? I'm going to write down this list real quick. That's, that's not the point. In fact, you've probably recognized this weekly theme that the psalmist presents to us. He always has an enemy that is against him. Have you noticed that? 
every section of this psalm so far, there's always somebody that seems to be against him. Someone who is attacking him, someone who is hindering him, someone who's hurting him or otherwise being an enemy, quote unquote, to him. It's a very simple truth that we need to be aware of in our lives, and I think I've said it enough, hopefully you've gotten it, there will always be opposition to us when we try to follow God. We will always have that opposition. Sometimes that opposition will be a literal physical manifestation of another human being. Sometimes it will be a spiritual uh, uh, opposition that we will feel in effect. Sometimes it will be our own flesh that opposes us in following God's way. But the point is this, you need to be aware the spiritual battle does not take a vacation. It is always there. We must be armed to fight. That's what the psalmist is saying. I have not forgotten your law. I'm armed with it. And I use that word because Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, of all of the things that you can have to protect yourself, you've got one weapon, the sword of God, and this is it. Why is God's word my treasure, O Lord? Because it protects me against against the cords of the wicked, whatever those may look like, and whoever that may look like. Sometimes the cord of the wicked is the guy staring back at me in the mirror. He goes on in verse 62. It says, at midnight, I give rise to give thanks. I will rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous judgments. Literally, that's translated in the middle of the night. Many of us have issues sleeping, don't we? (laughs) I see some of your posts on Facebook. I'm part of the insomniac club tonight. Who's up? Right? Some of us get woke up in the middle of the night. We are light sleepers, and so we hear a noise and it wakes us up. Some of us are woken up in the middle of the night by our plumbing also. It's just a fact of of life. The, The psalmist may have been giving thanks because he woke up in the middle of the night. Back in these times, that's when the enemy attacked. That's when the the vandals and the thieves would have come and robbed him. Perhaps, he says, at midnight I give thanks because I'm not surrounded by thieves and vandals trying to steal my possessions. The, The fact is, the psalmist is giving thanks specifically, though. He says, for the righteous judgments of the Lord. It's another, another word for God's word. Perhaps in his sleeplessness, the psalmist took this time to read and study God's word. Instead of getting up and turning on the TV, he got up and turned on the Word of God, spent a little time studying. Perhaps that's why in the middle of the night he was giving thanks for the judgments of God. Perhaps in his sleeplessness, though, he just was reminded to be thankful. You know, if I wake up in the middle of the night, I'm usually concerned I won't be able to go back to sleep. But then when I wake up in the middle of the night, I'm also usually a little thankless because I'm like, ah, why did I wake up? This is just sleep I'm uh, losing, and I need all the beauty sleep I can get. Hey! (laughs) But instead, he chooses to be thankful. When the Lord is our portion, we should see these moments as opportunities to be thankful to him. Next time we're awoken or awakened in the middle of the night, maybe I should try to remember, instead of complaining or worrying, to use it as an opportunity to give thanks to the Lord. Thanks, God. You woke me instead of the alternative, right? Thanks, God, that I'm able to walk on my own. Thanks, God, that my lovely spouse is sleeping so peacefully and I didn't wake her up. 
And I mean that, I don't mean that sarcastically. Shouldn't we rejoice that somebody's getting some sleep? Thanks, God, that my household is peaceful and there's no thieves breaking in or water coming in. Thanks, God, that I can feel that toe I just stubbed on the corner of the bed. Listen, a thankful heart is a good thing. A thankful heart is a great thing because a thankful heart takes the dark night and turns it into bright day. A thankful heart drives out the complaining attitude. A thankful heart drives fear out. A thankful heart drives mourning and turns it into rejoicing. And it makes room for praise out of any hour of the day. My portion, O Lord. And so if I awake in the middle of the night, I will give thanks. And if for nothing else, because I have your righteous word and I'm reminded of it, even in the middle of the night, when I could be complaining that I'm not getting my beauty sleep. Finally, or next, he says, he talks about his companions, almost in conflict with verse 61. In the cords of the wicked, the psalmist says he makes himself a companion with those who fear the Lord. I am a companion of all who fear you and of those who keep your precepts. The psalmist loved God. The psalmist loved God's word, but he also found company and those who were like-minded, and those he had a common bond with. In the original language, a companion isn't just an acquaintance or a friend, it's a partner, a confidant, someone that you can trust with those deepest, darkest things. I make this statement often at this church, and I try to remind you on a regular basis. We are in this thing together. Anybody ever heard me say that? Yes. We are in this thing together. We were not meant to face this spiritual battle that we are constantly in on our own. We are in this thing together. And as anyone who served in the military knows, no one wants to be in the foxhole alone. We're just not meant to do that. We need our fellow brethren in arms, and so we should find company, companionship, confidants with those who fear the Lord and direct their steps according to the word. Because we need each other. We need one another in this spiritual battle. We need one another for the encouragement and edification of our hearts and their hearts. We need each other. You've heard this statement before. Birds of a feather flock together. And so it should be true of God's people that we find company with this common bond we have in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and His inspired Word. Hmm. Those who have no fear of the Lord often do not want the company or companionship of true Christ followers or those who find their portion in the Lord. So to find your companionship in those who have this common bond of finding their portion in God is to, is to say something about who you are. God is my portion, and I find my companionship in others who find God as their portion, as their treasure. Finally, he says, the earth is full of your mercy. This last stanza as a declaration, it's a moment of worship for the psalmist. Considering the time at which this would have been written, the writer would have had a lot of interaction with nature. If it's David, which a lot of people think that David wrote Psalm 119, we could perhaps think about his time tending sheep in the field. A lot of time in nature. 
All of that time he spent running from, from Saul when Saul was king. Where did he hide? He hid in caves and, and camped out with his men. Spent a lot of time in nature. And with that he says how the earth is full, God, of your mercy. He would have learned that the earth was full of these reminders of the Lord's mercies that he had been taught in God's statutes. Creation reveals God to humanity. Creation reveals God to humanity. You heard me just talk about the solar eclipse. That's not just some freak happening coincidence of the sun and the moon crossing. It's a reminder. There is an all-powerful being that created these things and set them in motion, and he is over all these things. It reveals God and his mercies. Those two passed in front of each other. What if they had collided with each other? Or we had collided with one or the other? God's mercies. If the Lord is our portion, if he is our treasure, then we will want from him as much mercy as we can obtain. But we only have to look to his creation to be reminded of the mercy he provides and the mercy of his hand on us at all times. We think about his provident hand, his hand of control, of sovereignty on humanity. We're reminded of his mercy. Jesus talking about sparrows in the air. He tells the listeners, not one of those sparrows fall out of the sky and hit the ground without the Father knowing about it. He goes on and he says to them that were worrying perhaps about what they were wearing, he says, consider the lilies of the field, and Solomon in all of his splendor was never clothed as good as those lilies. God takes care of his creation. And that's revealed in sparrows and lilies. But it should reveal to our own hearts that the earth reminds us of God's mercies, his hand on our lives. And it's especially hard to think about as we see these storms bearing down all over Texas. Okay, where is God's hand of sovereignty? Where is his hand of mercy in that? It's hard to tell you exactly, well, you know, I hear this story and I hear that story. But I bet we know stories of people who have been miraculously saved or rescued from this storm already. Well, so-and-so's got water coming in his house. He's got a house. That's, that's the show of God's mercy right there. It could have been swept off of its foundations. This is kind of one of those, you know, philosophical, uh, logical thoughts, but God's mercy is often found in it could have been worse. The earth is full of his mercies that his word teaches. And if the Lord knows about sparrows and lilies, if he puts stars in the skies, if he is in control, even in the midst of a destructive hurricane, he can hear our cry for mercy. And we can be reminded of his hand on our lives. But surely even in that we can see the hand of God. Because our portion is not found in Harvey. Our portion is found in the Lord our God. Because it is He that we praise. And it is to He that we say, The greatest mercy I can have from you, O Lord, is not a rescue from the storm, but a rescue from this life. And that when this life is over, that there is something waiting for me on the other side that is good and glorious, Beyond imagination, can't even 
imagine what it is like. This last verse overflows with a sense of the psalmist's dependence on God for his portion, for his life's fulfillment. Because humility before God doesn't say, if you were real God, you would stop the storm. But instead, humility before the Lord says, teach me, oh God, my portion. Teach me from your word about what mercy really looks like. Why does this matter? As I said in the, minute, in the beginning, in our day and time, we refer to portion as having to do with the food allotment. Remember when Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray? He said to them, you need to pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us our day, our daily, anybody? Bread. Bread. But he's not talking about food there. Because a little later in the Gospels, what does Jesus say? I am the bread of life. Our portion, our fulfillment, our treasure is not in things of this earth. It's not in food. That The thing that sustains our lives is found in the bread of life, Jesus Christ. And that we are to find satisfaction of our souls in Him and the treasure of His Word. And in doing so, we find all the fulfillment we will ever need. And so when I ask the question, what is it that you treasure? Really what I'm, what I'm asking us is, is Jesus enough? Is God enough? Is His Word enough? Do we find our portion, our treasure in Him? There are many things that we can possess in our life, worldly goods, extravagant experiences, awesome opportunities, but none of these will fulfill us and please us for an eternity. There is only one thing that we can treasure that will fulfill us for all of time, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. All those other things are temporary. And I would plead with you this morning to find your fulfillment to find your treasure in the thing that will last for all of eternity. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Because He will never let you down. And everything else will. Everything else will. And to have the Lord as your portion, you only simply need to do this. Lord Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner, and that I am in need of a Savior. And I recognize that you came to this earth and you lived life on this earth, you died on the cross for me, that you came back to life on the third day, that you are still alive and in heaven right now. I confess you as my Savior and as my Lord. Would you please be my Lord and Savior? If you're sitting here this morning, you're saying, you know, God is, I think he's a neat guy. I think it's awesome to come to church and to experience worship and all that, but I wouldn't say he's necessarily my treasure. I wouldn't say that I necessarily get all my fulfillment from him. It may mean you need to find your portion in Jesus Christ by receiving him as your Lord and Savior. And really when we're saying that, what I'm saying that is, is it's talking about finding your everything in him, surrendering your everything to him. Because the storm may come and sweep everything else away. And when that happens, I can, I can say, I still have my portion. I still have my treasure. It is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say the same? Can you say the same? We're going to have a time of response this morning, a time of invitation. Just give you an opportunity to respond to however the Holy Spirit may be leading, plugging, pulling on your heart. We just ask that you would just spend some time in prayer 
asking God, what, what is it that you want from me? How can I have you as more of my portion or as my portion at all? Maybe this is an opportunity for you to come forward and get saved this morning. You can come and talk to me or we have other people around here. Maybe you, you've been saved, but you haven't been living life completely turned over to God. You can spend some time praying and dedicating your life. We want to give you that opportunity as well. Would you just bow with me in a time of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for everybody's attention and time this morning. We just pray, Lord, that your hand would be over us. That your Holy Spirit would speak to each of us this morning. We would hear loud and clear from you. Lord, that we would be obedient in how we respond to you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence. In your name I pray, Jesus.